Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. My name is Michelle Byrne and I'm here with Stevie Lunulon um, from Trademark Belfast. Um, and as always, we'll have a look at the weekend papers across the island and abroad and some stories of the week and giving them a bit of an analysis from a left perspective. Um, and as you all know, The Week at Work, along with Trademark Belfast, is part of Left Block. Um, we're a political education project, media project. And find out more information about us, support us or support us on patreon.com slash leftblock. So Steve, it's good to have you on the pod again um, and good to obviously have to make sure that we're getting coverage from across the island um, um, and making sure that we're keeping an eye. And I know um, you have been reading recently about the Windsor framework and that's not something we've discussed yet. So we'd be really interested to hear about what you have to say on that. Not something you've discussed and probably not something anyone's interested in. I know I'm, I'm finding it hard to be interested in anything that happens in the six counties, to be honest. It's just like fucking Groundhog Day, but... Um... Well, it just reinforces the idea that this place is completely culturally, politically and economically unsustainable, but I'll get that one in early. Um, the Windsor Framework, just the latest, yeah, uh, another agreement, another, about the fourth or fifth different agreement since the Good Friday Agreement, and it's also the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement this year, so there's loads going on. Um, none of it very practical or useful for the people who live here, of course. In terms of the framework itself, it's it's the same it's the same as a protocol, really. I mean, they've reduced a little bit of the paperwork for some businesses uh, in terms of bringing goods into the north, but... Nothing's changed really over the last five years. They've had the same agreement. They've had goods coming into the north um, that are destined for the south have to be checked. Those coming into the north that are just staying in the north don't get checked. And that's it. And it's, so it's the same framework and agreement really that's been there for a long time with some adjustments just in terms of bureaucracy. The issue is whether um, Jeffrey Donaldson, uh, that master strategist that he is, whether he can sell it to his own party. But it's quite clear there's a split in the party between the Ian Og and Sammy. And then you've got on the other side, you've got um, uh, Jeffrey and his kind of acolytes, and he's put together this kind of panel, and he's drunk, he's dragged Peter Robinson out of retirement, um, and Arlene Foster. So it's, uh, no, no, he's made up a panel, and the panel is going to decide whether they back the Windsor framework or not. So, um, and although generally you wouldn't know what that panel will come up with because um, he's trying to play, you know, he's trying to ride two horses with one arse, really, is what Jeffrey's doing. So we'll see what the panel comes up with. But the bigger question there is even if the panel says yes to it and the party follows, is whether the DUP will serve um, under a Sinn Féin First Minister. That's really the big issue here that no one really is talking about, and I think they, I think he'd find that really difficult. I'm not saying he wouldn't do it, but I think it'd be a struggle for them. Mm, well, um, I, I, I saw actually during the week um, Hillary Clinton adding into this discussion, saying that you know she suggests that any DUP Assembly members who are opposed to the Windsor Framework should just resign and allow other people to step in and form a government. But I, I just uh, seeing the name Hillary Clinton row in behind the, in, into this discussion amongst her Irish Paddy's Day commentary uh, concerns me in general. Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's, it's lovely having loads of international war criminals give advice on the peace process, you know, whether it's Biden, whether it's fucking Obama, whether it's Clinton, whether it's Tony Blair's being dug up again and he's back on the scene. I've seen his face all over the place in the last couple of weeks. No doubt it will turn up in the next couple of months for this 25th anniversary, uh, along with uh, you seem to have dug up Bertie Ahern from somewhere as well. I've seen he's been rejuvenated. Yeah, kind of, yeah. You know, so. It's been pulled out of the roadwork for the, the anniversaries, for the 25th uh, anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, but also, like, his PR team are working hard. Like, he's getting awards in, like, uh, colleges. Like, how, like, it's the timing of everything all at the one time, you know, it's very it's a, it's calculated. So, it, he's going to so run obvious, for president. But it's so and, obvious, isn't it? Oh, like? But a big shout out to the Connolly Youth Movement, by the way, for their... <laughs> intervention when he was getting his award fair play to them for doing that yeah but 
For anyone who missed it, they did. They intervened in the ceremony where he was going to be awarded an honorary doctorate um, and called him out for his histories. And it's interesting because me and Connor had a chat about Bertie on this pod before. And he said, you you young people hardly remember Bertie and um, government and what he's done. I said, well, look, his legacy lives on. I think now, like, uh, like I'm constantly seeing memes of Bertie Hearn from other young people. So I think, uh, like, his memory does live on, his legacy lives on, and people aren't going to forget that. Um even if they weren't directly uh, involved in politics at the time or, you know, uh, reading the papers at the time um, when he was in power. But yeah, his legacy does live on. But yeah, Biden as well is coming over. Um, yeah, my daughter's, um, my daughter's studying Irish at Queen's and their classes are all going online at some point in the next few weeks um, because they're obviously closing down the university for a week or a few days or something like that, you know, and so the security heads are already in town, you know, walking about and, and, and snipers on roofs will be there order of the day come another couple of weeks so yeah i imagine there'll be some big celebration the good friday green but it's all it's all up for grabs i suppose that because you know it, the, the crossover between the celebration of that and then the windsor framework is if the dp don't go back in and they won't go back in probably till after the there's may council elections here till after that so they'll drag it out for a bit longer but long term if they don't go in then there's bigger questions to be asked about the about the good friday agreement and about the, the consociational government that was established you know that kind of ethno-nationalist government we have to have both sides of the community in government together whether that can be questioned and whether that can be pulled apart and it it will just become an assembly that um, forms a government without that you know kind of ethnic makeup um or it will be direct rule again for another three years or potentially some sort of um, joint rule dublin and belfast as a threat but usually that's kind of there in the background as a threat to the dupes you know that if you don't get on board and don't play ball we're gonna um let dublin have a bigger say in what goes on in the in the wee six you know in our wee yeah. country hey and uh, the dupes won't like that so we'll wait and see but it's all fun yeah but game, it's ne- n- never a good thing when the americans are coming in to talk about uh you know peace and what their opinions are and that and the irony is they're probably flying in through um the u.s uh military base essentially in shannon airport um so you know um well that stretches everywhere i mean last week they issued an, uh, the icc the international criminal court issued a, an arrest warrant for putin and like some of his generals and biden was asked you know goes he actually me goes well we don't recognize the icc but fair play to them for doing it i mean the yanks i think it was a few years ago the Yanks threatened to invade anyone, literally to invade any country that was that arrested any of their people for committing war crimes, you know. So the hypocrisy here is fucking the stench of it is really something to to Yeah, didn't they they've threatened the ICC judges recently again? Yeah, um, they threatened to arrest them. If, if you uh, we'll arrest you if you try if you try to investigate you try any Yanks, war yeah. crimes in <laughs> Afghanistan. It's like Yeah. It's fucking shocking, like, you know, and the, but again, the, that same ICC hasn't arrested or issued an, an, a warrant for arrest for Tony Blair, you know, for Iraq or for, you know, for Hillary Clinton, for Libya. So, I mean, the, the hypocrisy is just, it's just imperialism playing games, you know, but uh, it's important people understand the hypocrisy of that and, and don't, I mean, it's the same over the calls for peace in Ukraine and stuff, you know, that now when you're, you're, you're calling for peace and you're calling for peace negotiations and an end to the war and an end to the deaths of what looks like tens of fucking thousands of young Ukrainian men you're accused of being a fucking Putinist. I mean, the whole debate has just got so poisonous now, you know? Yeah. Fair play to Claire Daly. She's the only one I've heard, actually, from the South who's really given a strong voice to, you mm. know, the calls for peace and the calls for, um, um, you know, because we all know it's going to end up at some sort of peace negotiation at some point. So why not start that and then save the lives of tens of thousands of, of young men? I don't understand yeah. why people don't see that as a, as a, as a reasonable um, claim or choice, you know? 
yeah it, why why yeah exactly that's it but it has been very polarized since the start and even having those been able to say those kind of things publicly we've seen people have been trying to shut that down from the very start yeah, and yeah um i know claire daily and uh, mep was uh speaking again about the lives that are being lost and the need for peace negotiations during the week in the european parliament so it's good to hear that someone is saying it but again mm. she will be vilified off the back of yeah, that absolutely. And what oh, she, she said so she, she takes abuse online abuse yeah. you know, it's unbelievable yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, then I guess closer to home, I guess, with some of the stuff that we've been talking about again is um, in it's all over the papers around housing the last two weeks. And like, you know, it, it's predominantly circled around the, the talk around the eviction ban. Yeah. Um, but there has been a couple of different stories around, you know, how we have like a quarter million housing deficit and that's coming from the government themselves. So it's probably obviously a lot more than that. Where there's talk about, you know, they're def- they're still they're still trying to defend that they're under while they're saying that they're still also defending the fact that there's a one billion euro underspend on housing in the south. So like that's basically the same equivalent of four thousand average sized four three 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 four bedroom houses um in a year that they just are underspending. Like it's bizarre how we can be talking about underspending and looking at you know that the fact that we're talking about the why the lifting of an eviction ban is a problem when the government haven't used that opportunity to even act in the meantime so like and then you have Michal Martin over went on his trip to New York saying oh next budget now we're going to incentivize the small landlords to stay in the rental market and encourage new entrants into the sector but on the other hand then he'll say to someone else he's talking to oh no we won't have landlord tax breaks you know but it's just unfair that the small landlords you know they they're getting outdone by the institutional landlords and all of this like honestly like depending on what article or what paper you're reading at any given time there's a message in there for you whether it's a landlord whether it's someone you know it's just like how you're supposed to um have any faith in how they're dealing with this at all is you know bizarre and there, there is a couple of other stories again around like obviously the rent prices during the week like a lot of those new um a lot of the new places that are coming online now in dublin um is are starting at two thousand a month um you know so you you know and at the same time you have then leo been like oh i'm i'm agonizing over the eviction eviction ban it's it's not a, it's it's not an easy decision but like why should we have sympathy for that man <laughs> trying to make a decision about eviction ban where he he can extend that no problem but at the same time in the same breath where he's like oh god it's such a hard decision but you know i feel bad for the landlords I feel bad for the landlords have you ever heard any like Leo or Mar- Michal Martin saying I feel bad for the people who are on the streets people who are in emergency accommodation people who are couch surfing people who are like there's so many different la- like layers there but now we have a point where he's oh I'm oh, oh, so sad but you know the poor landlords like at the insane breath um, it's, it's really when, when you're when you're looking at it from up here particularly I mean there's a housing crisis here too not, it's not quite as bad as the 26 but it's still but the extent to which the establishment captured but, or the extent to which they serve that tiny group of people in society is incredible to me. Like when we look at it like that, yeah. I mean, the institutional landlords and even individual landlords or property developers, I mean, there aren't that many of them in the state. I mean, you're talking about a few thousand people and a, f- and a few hundred organizations probably like that they're benefiting from a crisis that's causing so much damage to the fucking country. And yet they have these servants in government that are doing their bidding at every turn, you know, and doing it unashamedly, like quite openly. Yeah. There's no. And, and the rest of it, the mainstream media, and the rest of the establishment doesn't seem to give a shit. There's no questioning. Yeah. There's no, you know, there's no speaking truth to power. There's no holding to, them to account. There's no challenge being offered from from anywhere really. It's a, uh, it's incredible, and it's also incredible to me because it's going to do. I mean, surely they must know, and that the pollsters and all these consultants that Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil buy in, you know, all these Yank 
um, mm. consultancy, they must know it's going to do them damage in the next election. They must know that they're going to suffer because of that. Or maybe they think they're going to get away with it. I don't know. Maybe they think... Of, Maybe they think there's enough landlords in the market that will still vote for them. You know what I mean? Like they're worried about them fleeing the market, but at the end of the day, they're landlord party and like they must think that they're going to get enough votes by continuing to back landlords. Well, there's an issue there. There's a wider issue. I mean, no no one talks about this in the press. Maybe we should talk about it on is 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 what they're going to do in terms of the attacks on Sinn Féin before next um, autumn. That'd be a really interesting thing to watch because I mean, obviously they did it in Britain. The the fear of a social democrat getting elected into the British state was enough for the British state and the British mainstream readers to turn on that kind of Corbyn project and rip it to pieces, you know, and they did it really successfully. It failed in 2017, 2019 was fucking a masterclass in, in propaganda and how to stop a t- tiny shift to the fucking centre-left, you know, so um, I'm, I'm expecting something similar here. I think it's already started, actually, with the whole um, rise of the right and the refugee crisis and asylum seeker crisis and turning on working-class communities. So I think there's already rumblings happening about how they're going to, attack Sinn Féin before the next election so I'm assuming that's what they think they're going to do and that's how they're going to you know split or damage Sinn Féin's vote but um how did I start this yeah because it it, again back to the point it's amazing that they're just they're getting away with this they're getting away with being part as you said the parties of 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 the landlord class of one class of people in society you know who are just creaming it yeah like that that's literally it and you know there's there was I think like nearly 5,000 notices of um eviction um that were issued by landlords in July, August, September last year. Wow! So that's now what we're going to see in the next couple of months. Are there any? Are there any? Are there any suggestions about how many have been issued at the moment? Though is there any stats out now? Well, that's that's the total that are going to be putting being coming into oh, right. effect gotcha. come the the eviction ban and lifted. So there's going to be five, nearly five thousand nationwide, and it's actually it's hitting everywhere. Like obviously Dublin, Cork, and Galway are going to be the worst hit. But like you're even looking at like Leitrim has nearly 30 families that are going to be evicted. You know, like tiny places, but like where you've never seen the housing crisis really impact in the same mm. way. But yeah, everywhere and everywhere has been impacted on it. Like Cavan, 33, Leitrim, Monaghan, like all small enough places um, for, for this. And like the other thing as well that's really interesting to note is, you know, of those 5,000 um, or it's 4,700 um, eviction notices like threshold have said in in another article that the third they third housing uh, charity that half of the notices that are issued are invalid so if you know that that's a lot of invalid uh eviction notices and i think that's something that people need to be cognizant of as well and like to challenge that as well because like they are saying that like oh yeah 60 percent of them are landlords who want to sell so if that 30 percent of those are invalid it's probably like landlords or not issuing them properly or who in the end probably relisted at a higher rate and all that we know that's happening and what's the, um, what's the advice i mean what's the advice you give to families and individuals is just to not leave and just to stay in the yeah, house is that the advice yeah, yeah? Just yeah and, and i and think to challenge it that's what and join, really and join Katu, obviously join Katu. so Katu is the community action tenants union and i think you know organizing within your community and having that momentum behind you if you're deciding to stay and overhold mm. is like you know having that support is important too um you know there, and it is great to see that the narrative has changed in the last two weeks and people are talking about overholding overholding is not legal you know you can overhold your property if you're at risk of homelessness. So I think that's something that is great to have that as something that's been discussed around the last week or so. But you still need that like collective support around you. And mm-hmm. I think that's why um, the Community Action Tenants Union Cash is really, really important with that. Um, but like there was a piece in this whole like the where the government are trying to like pull back and say, oh, well, don't worry, we'll give the tenants like first refusal <laughs> of the property. But like completely not 
making any links to the fact of why people don't can't afford to have home ownership in the first place like one that's going to go in the market where they probably won't be able to afford it if they've been paying high rents as a renter for years how are they supposed to have saved exactly. up for what the equivalent of a deposit for that mortgage is you know so like i just think it's complete cop out and um, they're trying to make it look like oh well we are supporting um ten or ten tenants to have uh home ownership but actually like they're not and at the same time they're ignoring there's a big campaign in dublin on uh tanny house i think where there's a big block of flats of renters yeah, being evicted um and you know they're saying oh well the council could buy that but the council aren't buying it so like you know the tenants aren't going to pay a couple of million for that block of flats so that they you know wh- where they mightn't be in the position in the first place so yeah and i think as well like they talk about as when i was sorry when i was talking about there around the about invalid notices as well like there's such a burden of proof as well on you know, how do you prove that those notices are invalid and how do you define, you know, what family member can, is valid for you to be evicted for? So there's just, there's just so many things in it. Um, And I think the story has been going on as well because you have obviously the likes of Michal Martin, Leo Varadkar coming out and saying that, you know, they are trying to <laughs> protect, but also the one of the Greens, uh, Nessa Harrigan, um, she's in government at the moment and she's coming out as this like, well, I'm actually going to come out this morning and has said, I'm going to vote against uh, the, the, there's a bill coming up this week, Sinn Féin are bringing and it's about extending the eviction ban and she has said publicly today in an opinion piece in the Independent that, you know, oh, well, I'm a member of the Just Transition Greens and, you know, just last month in February, they agreed to uphold the ban on evictions until the government has had has completed a policy intervention in the housing sector. Now, in the time, the few months that we've had the eviction ban, nothing has changed and how the government's mm-hmm. been approaching this. So there's that. But like she she goes on to say, like, you know, oh, well, the, the, the whole point of that eviction ban was to give space, a breeding space for policymakers, you know. But unfortunately, then she kind of is always kind of peeling back then. It's like private landlords are not you know they're not the fault you know we're chastising these private landlords so like she's speaking out of kind of two sides of her mouth like one oh yes I'm with the renters but two are oh, the poor landlords like in the same way so like she's saying it slightly different at the you know at the same not, time and she's I talking about suge- I hope you're not suggesting the Green Party might be opportunists no <laughs> might be might be trying to say like every other politician ride two horses with one arse you know so it's, it's unbelievable uh, how they get they think they're going to get away with that and they must think people are fucking stupid to believe that kind of discourse you know I know yeah and like look what's probably going to happen is what happened the last time she spoke out about something like this and she's just gonna the whip is going to be removed off her and she won't be able to say anything for another while or whatever it is yeah she got a wrist slap for a month but then she maybe she hopes maybe she thinks that individually that will help her with her seat to the next election which is what I would say so they're all thinking that way now well well, now a party's going to get wiped out but maybe I'll be able to get in. Maybe my seat will be able to saved, you know, with my track record. That's kind of seems to be uh, what what the Greens are going to end up doing. Like, I mean, all of those smaller parties, probably. Yeah, yeah. It's just like it's it's yeah. It's very disappointing to see the circle ha- cycle happen every single time. Where you know there's there's a rebel speaking out and maybe challenging, but at the same time you're sitting in the government. And you're talking about making like ha- making compromise and everything, but I don't actually know really what they're getting out of this at all like how can you compromise you're propping up a neoliberal government at the end of the day like like what that is what is the compromise i don't understand no, i like, don't that know is- what I, I honestly don't understand I don't, I don't really understand ambition anyway in the first place because i've never been very ambitious as you can tell but um <laughs> may, maybe it's just because they're in government and they're swanning about maybe it's the pensions maybe it's the money maybe it's that they're on tv and radio they're just maybe that's it maybe that's the reason why they're in there even though they know they're going to get wiped out of the next election Mm. Which is going to be really good fun to watch, by the way. I'm really looking forward to the Greens getting absolutely fucking wiped out. That's just one small bit of schadenfreude for all of us on the left, you know? 
Well, it's going to end up with the same thing will happen with Labour, right? Where and mm. there's a, there's a story about um, Ivana Batchik uh, today as well. Um, where I'm only joking. <laughs> Labour Party leader in, in uh, the south. Um, she huge, pro- huge profile, huge profile. Everyone knows her, I'm sure. Well, I think that's kind of part of uh, the problem now because the article is actually a load of uh, Labour staffers, TDs, commenting into this article that basically is saying, you know, like they're looking at Ivana a year as leader and morale is down. Uh, you know, everyone's like, well, there's no motivation, no one's doing anything, all of that in within the party and all of that. But they're kind of co- commenting on this off the back of um, Holly Cairns um, becoming a social democrats leader and I, I just was kind of like you know obviously they're fighting for the same voters you know it, yeah if if you see an increase in the social democrats because holly Cairns is leader it's because it's co- probably coming from labor because it's the same and even the the people in the in their own party in labor are saying oh yeah like we have the same policies we have the same approach um which you know they're saying that but there there's even talked about oh maybe a voting pact would be a good idea and it's just like like I feel like a lot of people who left Labour out of embarrassment um after the last um time they were in government are probably have set up the sock Dems and are involved in sock Dems now because there's no history there. But at the same time, mm-hmm. if you're saying if the same if you're saying if you're in a party and you're saying, Oh, well, we have the same policies and approach, then is that just to say that the sock Dems would do the exact same thing if they ended up in government in the same position? I think it probably is. Um, but Labour... Is, gonna... like, is, is Cairns versus Batchik not a bit, you know, is it not a bit two bald men fighting over a comb? If it's not probably, kind of a pointless yeah, probably. debate, a pointless fight over a couple of seats in yeah. the door, I mean, they're not gonna, there's going to be no breakthrough for either of those parties, I don't think, not really. You know? I mean, the sock Dems might pick up a couple of seats, I suppose, of the Greens and maybe of Labour, yeah. but... But you probably questioned that as well with whatever Sinn Féin um, voting strategy they decide because a lot lot in places they're going to be running three people in some of the Mm. areas where they would have only ran one or two. So I think like the likes of Sock Dems and Labour are going to be, you know, that'll be a discussion. But I had had to laugh because like part of um, this article, uh, someone in Labour says, you know, we have a major branding issue. Yeah, the, party of Connolly, the party of Connolly does have a fucking major brand in the shoe. The branding yeah. issue is it's not acting as the party of Connolly, I would say. Exactly. But um, you know that that's unfortunate. Um, but it goes on to all. I they interviewed like fifteen people in Labour, and there's like obviously all the dirt is coming out now, and they're saying like, oh, you know, we're tra- there's trauma after Alan Kelly when I was ousted, um, and all of this, and you know, and one of the uh, people there's a quote in it and says uh, a Labour official said. Coming for us is like going to a terminally ill person in the hospital and wanting to smother them in relation to Holly Cairns attacking Labour. Like, imagine saying that about your own Lovely. party. Like, such a t- terrible framing for anything, but Jesus. Um, but yeah, so, it, it, yeah, so that's something that's been discussed at the moment and that kind of idea of, like, Labour and Sock Dems being the same vote, but fighting for the same votes and... You know, maybe it's the two, two, the framing of the two female leaders mm-hmm. now as well. Like, you know, there's probably going to be an element of that. Um, but you see, you know, you see that. I suppose, and even off the back of, um, I had to laugh actually because off the back of uh, International Women's Day last week, I was having a read of the paper, and there was a letter in one of the papers, and um, from w- one of the readers, and it was talking about obviously off the back of like International Women's Day, and it goes, um, you know, how women can bring about real social change, and the letter is written by Anthony, uh a man and it was like basically saying you know if women really want women leading the country then women should just all just decide to vote for women and surely that'll that'll impact uh 
you know all the policies that women want to see and you will have an equal or we'll have a more equal society then and I was just like had to laugh you know because obviously like you look at for if we take labor like Joan Burton like voting to mm-hmm. take money away from lone parents or like you know you have the likes of the Fianna Gael women in the European Parliament oh what's her name can't remember her name now Maria uh you know voting for women to die in the sea in the red Mediterranean so Mm -hmm. like you know this idea that like if if more women if if men telling men telling women in the paper to vote for more women so that women have better policies is like some level of I don't don't know I don't think gender is a guide to politics you know yeah it's really not it's really not um but it's it's just interesting because like yeah so this this guy anyway was basically saying if if women had a bigger say in the control of the resources of the state um and made change and make changing the situations in which women seem to be vulnerable and easier to achieve i was like i need to publish that um but yeah no it but it kind of goes back to this like you know yeah anyway there's probably a lot more that could have been picked on international women's day but that one um had me uh i had to had to pull that one out anyway um is there any other stories that you've been reading this week, Stevie? No, because uh, both of everyone over here and everyone down south, they've all been over in America for the week, haven't they, with the Baddies Day nonsense um, over in the States, over in Washington. And I noted Radgar's, um, Radgar's faux pas, his fuck-up, was was quite, was amazing. He fucking thought that was going to be funny when he mentioned being an intern in Washington in the 90s. Did you see that, no? Made reference to Monica Yeah, Lewinsky. I did he see it. it was, yeah. was going to be, I thought, like, fucking what an idiot. So we had to apologise publicly for that lie, you know? Um, there was a couple of things he did, I think, uh, where he essentially had to apologize. He snubbed someone else as well, but like and Jeffrey Don- and then Jeffrey Donaldson told the the leader of the Senate, the House Senate, to, to read a history book because the, when he was when he was questioning about the history of Ireland and the history of partitions and so on. So they seem to have made a they seem to have had a really bad week um in Washington. Meanwhile, I know it's Eamon Ryan was on the other side of the planet. He was over in I my I've got a daughter in Hong Kong University and he was over there in Hong Kong meeting with the Chinese communists this week. So even though Western imperialism wants to have a new Cold War, it seems Eamon Ryan's over there fighting for the rights of Irish farmers to continue exporting beef to China, you know. So, again, another politician speaking out of two sides of their mouth, you know, um, back in Western imperialism, but making sure that Ireland's OK, you know what I mean? And the Irish exports to China are secured, you know. But, um, yeah, my daughter said she couldn't believe him. She, she was went to a Paddy's Day event and he, he was at it, so she swiftly left. You know? I said she should have stayed and abused him, you know, shout out to him. But she didn't. She stayed. So, no, that was it. Really, just watching the our politicians from both sides of the border embarrass themselves internationally has been a, a good week, you know. Yeah, and everyone's having a good laugh at our expense. You know, all of us paddies out and about, and yeah, like there was even an, uh, a comment from Biden as well saying like, "Oh well, I'm not fully Irish, so I've never had a drink or whatever." Like that idea of like we're just all drunken idiots going around the going around the world. Uh, on this day all sending out all our politicians and as you've seen like Leo obviously putting his foot in it a few times as well but um yeah but in in other parts of uh the world um something that I've been watching at the last couple of months unfold is actually the the workers revolt that's happening in France um is I find it extremely interesting um so they've essentially been protesting since January now so I think initially they had nearly like one million workers out on the street and essentially what's happening there is the Macron has proposed um, kind of quite quite suddenly that they would be raising the pension age from 62 to 64. Now, bear in mind that Ireland's pension age is already 66 and that has been threatened to be 
like raised up further as well so just to kind of point that out the context of um the revolts that are happening there and I think last night there was nearly 300,000 on the streets again um and they I think they protested throughout the night the last couple of nights and you know it's taken me a while to see it being covered in the mainstream media of any sort but they're definitely not you know showing all of the videos of like the police battering the workers who are like could like I've seen videos where it's just the, the workers are just standing there and like the police are using them as battering rams um but of course then you know RT's reporting these they were peaceful protests up until suddenly a clash broke out with the clash is like the police running into crowds with buttons um and um huge amount of people are being arrested as well so yeah it's it's interesting to see you know obviously it's not unusual for workers and trade unions to be at the hand of police repression um, and repression of protests and that kind of stuff. Um, but there is like mass arrests at this point. And but that's been going that's been going on in France for a long time, even before yeah. the thing. I mean, it's yeah, been, they, had the, the, uh, they had the they had the the where the fuel yeah the, the diesel prices yeah, went up, the yeah. yellow vest kind that was of thing in, emerged. Yeah, that was in 2019. So this has been the biggest one since then. They're saying that this is more people on the streets. It's, even a, then. it's amazing though in France as well, because I mean, France has one of the lowest um, trade union memberships in Europe. It's, it's down as low as 7 or 8% across public and private. And yet it has really high collective bargaining coverage. So we have these collective bargaining agreements nationally that cover everybody. So everyone benefits from these 8% that are in unions to fight. But having said that, everyone turns up for the for the, for the the row, for the yeah. protests as well. You know, they have that tradition, don't they? Um, it's great yeah. to see, but also there's a bigger issue here too. I think though, um, with Macron and others, and that is that kind of what they call authoritarian hardening. You know, this kind of this kind of slide into authoritarianism of of Western liberal capitalist governments is happening everywhere. So you know, ten years ago you'd look to Hungary and Orbán to see this kind of you know authoritarianism in Europe, but now you can see it everywhere. You can see it in Poland, you can see it in in France, you can see it certainly in Britain with the, with the current conservative leadership that's introduced different laws to ban protests and laws targeting unions who, um, in a public sector that want to go on strike and stuff like that. So there's this kind of shift to the right, you know, um, happening everywhere. Um, but the one thing it does for workers and for people who have a, the eyes to see is to show you who the state represents and who the state is fighting for, because it's not for its people, but it's for the for the capitalist class, you know. So And that's what Macron's doing it for, simple. And and, and he forced it through, didn't he? Some sort of weird, I don't understand the, the how the French parliament works, but he was able to force it through with some sort of special resolution. So it is going to become law. There, yeah, Unless there is. There if is. He survives, um, if he survives mm, a vote of confidence this week, which is happening this week, yeah, and I think yeah. there's more protests planned for this week as well. So I think the vote of no confidence is on Tuesday, and then there's more protests definitely planned for Thursday anyway. But I think the protests are kind of still ongoing from the last two days, from what I can gather anyway. Um, but it's obviously having a huge impact. Um, it shows like you know what workers can do when they come together like that like you have the likes of the electricians turning off macron's electricity mm. directly you know yeah they're talk they've shut down oil refineries um and of course or described one as one of the unions as the hard left union because like and of course they would um but you know it's, there's there's rubbish all over the streets the bin workers are like we're not collecting rubbish um so yeah, but it, it wasn't just the age thing as well though. They're also in the middle of this um talking about ex- they have expanded um the length of time that you have to pay into the pension in order to receive your full pension. So I think that piece as well is maybe not spoken to as much but I just find like the like the contrast between the French workers getting up in absolute arms over like the fact that they're pension age is going from 62 to 64 and we're sitting here with an age of 66 
and to try of that going up further than that like the, 68, plan, yeah, the, plan, the, plan, the plans are 68 and in Ireland and Britain. oh i just think the contrast is just very interesting i think we should be looking more to well, you know what happened well, there yesterday was the anniversary wasn't it of the first day of the paris commune as well you know so i'm sure that played into the energy on, on the streets as well yeah, but that, the, the french have always had that um ability to revolt and, to, and it's part of their political culture yeah, it's simply not part of the political culture here. You think, you no, know, in, in no. a free state anyway, like, and then obviously the political culture across the island is different when it comes to talking about um, Britain's 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 presence in Ireland. But in terms of you know, in terms of resisting governments, now we do mm. a nice, nice parliamentary route, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, not even that. Like there was, there's an article in RTE today, and it's just the contrast of it. It's called the Great Unretirement, and honestly, I read it and I was like, this has to be a recruitment. Ad. It has to be like an ad for a company because the there was a one company named in a couple of times, um, and there's a, a recruitment agency named in a couple of times. But essentially, the story, the the whole story is about how like oh you know people are retired early during the pandemic because they were worried about health concerns, and now that now that's reversing. People are going, being forced back to work. Well, it's not it's not described like this. It's a much more like oh it's great that people over 50 are going back to work what a great news story it's been framed as this like fantastic get get people back to work all of this but like if people are leaving for health reasons in the first place they shouldn't be going back to work mm-hmm. if they have health concerns but obviously they're being forced to now because of cost living worries and the whole thing has been framed as like oh it's a great thing for employers to have older workers as an untapped talent pool this idea of calling workers talent is like such an imported Americanism um, around you know how <laughs> Like, yeah, anyway, and how, you know, they have a competitive advantage if you have older workers. Um, so this whole, yeah, this whole idea of framing workers as talent is like in, we imported it, all the multinationals and that Americanized kind of idea of work. But it's also anti-union, anti-worker, like there's all reasons, all reasons for that. But, you know, this uh, particular recruitment company has said, you know, that there is ageism in the workplace um, and that is an issue. But like that, that's that's practiced by the employer. It's not like something that, the the workers themselves have done like so it, this idea of framing it of like oh it's this this um vague concept that needs to be addressed it's like the very employers that you're working for are the ones who are promoting it but yeah so it talks and then it talked about how oh isn't it great that uh we're expanding the retirement age so all of these great older workers who obviously want to come back to work can have the opportunity to do that um you know I just just find it such a bizarre framing, you know, because but it's, it's central to it's, it's central to the, the the kind of the building blocks of capitalist ideology. Yeah, the idea yeah. that you know not working is a vice. You know, if yeah. you don't work, you're a lazy bastard, and that yeah. and, that, and that working is is natural for us to do. The idea that people might want to retire early and live a life yeah. and not have to fucking live for do nine to five, five days, six days a week for forty five years and then fucking die, which is their yeah. plan. That's the plan they want for us, you know. But um, and we have to fight against that, you know, that idea of you know eight hours work, eight hours. Um, sleep and eight hours for what you will eight hours leisure that yeah. was the original claim of, of trade unions but even that's not enough you know yeah um, I, I'm trying to breathe that into my kids that don't let them convince you don't let don't let anyone tell you that work is what you should spend your fucking life doing you know we shouldn't do we, 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 you know work to live don't live to work sort of thing you know yeah um, but yeah that's that's fundamental to how they want to sell the system you know that to reti- yeah. don't retire go back to work and be exploited for another 10 years of your life yeah you know? yeah and I do wonder as well you know that is there an element there of like um 
older workers who may, may have come from like more unionized workplaces, better contracts, you know, all of that. Um, they're probably a pushback on, you know, wanting to have to meet them where from where they were at, like before. Because if you think about it, a lot of the young workers that, they're, that are being hired are young workers who are in more precarious work, used to precarious contracts, lower, like all of that, uh, less unionized. Um, and, and then when we talk about age discrimination as well, we go further again and like, what about the literal age discrimination we have embedded in our own employment laws where people under, workers under the age of 20 are have a lower minimum, uh, lower minimum wage rate. So like yeah. once you, once you are under 20, you know, it goes down um, as to what your subject to different rates. So for example, if you're under 18, you only have to get 70% of the minimum wage, which would actually just leave them at seven euro 91 per hour, um, where the same person would do the same job for, as you for 1130. So that, that, you know, that's just ridiculous. I think, I think the whole piece basically was like a lobby. It was, it felt, just felt like a lobby for like a higher retirement age. Cause you know, it would be it would be more fairer on the older workers who want to go back to work but honestly like it's just it, i reading it i felt like this is actually dystopian you know it, we're talking about you know they're talking about like the notion of like over 50s not having fewer progression opportunities and everything um but at the same time we're literally talking about people going back to work who are retiring for health reasons or retiring for whatever the reasons is but at the same time have, are being forced back into it because of the cost of living crisis. And yeah. even if we go back to what we're talking about evictions, we're talking about, we're hearing stories of like people in their 50s, 60s, 70s who are facing eviction when the eviction ban is lifted and they don't have secure housing. There's just so many layers to this around why people are being forced into going back to work. And it, it as you say, we should be living to, we shouldn't be living to work. Um, Should we? No, I've said that wrong now. Have I? <laughs> the, yeah, basically, the work is not uh, what what. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's again. I make that point. It, it's it goes back to that that from the founding fathers of, of capitalism in the late seventeen to early eighteen hundreds. That idea that the common people have to be put to work, you know, and uh, and alongside the coercion of you have to sell your labour in the marketplace. How else you can live in this world? That's what we all do. But you have to be made to believe that work is a virtue, you know, and that not working is a vice. Mm. And and it's kind of this constant war it's kind of low level but it's always there in capitalism it's constant war against sloth and idleness you know that yeah that becomes central to how they and 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 central to that of course is the eradication not just of eradication not just of your retirement but also of leisure time and holidays yeah. i mean they hate the fact that we have holidays they hate the fucking fact that we have maybe have a weekend off they hate the fact that we have um christmas holiday you know that they, they don't want us to do those things you know and um, they yeah. want us to work all the time so ever since that i mean from the birth of this system it's it's been about you know, making sure that we work, that's it, you know, and that we believe that work's the only thing that matters and it becomes central to who we are and becomes central to our identity, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's even before we start talking about, um, like, the unpaid labour. Like, I know a lot of people who absolutely, have retired yeah. and are grandmothers and are now essentially, like, full-time childminders because Absolutely. and we've talked about you know the state of childcare in this country and how it's completely inaccessible cost-wise um, and availability and the workers themselves aren't getting paid what they deserve or the recognition professional recognition that they deserve that's a whole other a whole other story but you know no, but it's really interesting are retiring that so that they can support their children raise their families because no, they it's a really important one i'm glad you brought it up michelle because i mean that idea of social reproduction is is, yeah. is central again how to this system you know repeats itself and perpetuates itself and reproduces itself for every generation i think yeah. the ons in britain a few years ago 
the Office of National Statistics tried to put a, like a, a value, you know, as they do, they tried to put a value to social reproduction in the British economy. And it was like it was tens and tens of billions of pounds that that was unaccounted for in terms of, you know, because without social reproduction, of course, there's no one goes to work. There is no work, you know, but the only thing we measure in GDP is is paid work. You know, we don't measure yeah. unpaid labor. We don't measure anything else. You know, GDP yeah. measures all the wrong things and it doesn't measure community it doesn't mention that unpaid work it doesn't mm. doesn't measure you know environmental impact of, of the economy it doesn't doesn't measure love and connectedness and solidarity yeah. and community just paid labor so yeah there's so much it's such a you know so much more to be discussed about how the economy works and who it works for but all they want us to do is go back and do paid work because paid work means profit for the people you work for that's it yeah that's it that's it um, unless you have anything else, uh, Stevie, I think we're going to wrap up on that. I know we'd always try to finish on a nice story, but sometimes it's difficult to find those nice stories. But No, let's this... just remind ourselves what shit fucking system capitalism is. Let's replace <laughs> it as soon as we possibly can. Absolutely, absolutely. And with that, then, this has been The Week at Work. And thank you so much to my uh, co-host, Stevie. Um, and we'll be back again next week. Um, so do give us a share on all of our socials um, and t- tell your friends about how we're talking about uh, why we need to end capitalism on this podcast. So um, until next week, um, this has been The Week at Work. <laughs>